Psalm 23 still. We have one more week. Today is verse 5, and i got to tell you, this was a, a bit of a uh, concern to me going into it, which we'll talk about in a minute, but as you read it, this is one of those passages you get to and you're like, how the heck are you supposed to preach something like this? So, I'll start out with an illustration and then I'll explain what I mean, and hopefully I made some sense of the passage this week in my preparation, otherwise, if you guys slowly just start walking out or nodding off, I'll know I uh, didn't do my job. Have you ever thought about if you could have lunch with any single person throughout all of history, who it would be? You ever, you ever think about that? If you could, think about it. Who would you have lunch with? If you could pick anyone from, from Adam all the way to uh, Deion Sanders. I don't know where I come up with those two. Who would you have lunch with? It, has, it just gives you a glimpse into my mind. Who would you have lunch with? Who, who comes to mind? That would be an interesting lunch, wouldn't it? Yeah. I'd pick some chef that, like, you would, you know, cook he would cook all that stuff. Like lunch, with, lunch with Emerald or something? <laughs> I'm thinking of Deion Sanders. You're thinking of a chef. Yeah, I was thinking, like, people. I wrote to Abraham Lincoln. I would love to have lunch with Abraham Lincoln. C.S. Lewis. William Wilberforce. You know who William Wilberforce is? William, he's not, William Wilberforce is not an athlete. If you ever want to read a great biography, look up William Wilberforce. Um, I won't give it away. It's a great story. I think I like athletes like Babe Ruth, Jackie Robinson. I have Martin Luther on my, on my list. I have um, George Patton. I just think all these people would be fascinating to talk with. Well, the reality of the situation is, in this life at least, we're not going to have lunch with any of them, are we? But think of a contemporary person. Think about, like, now, just for... Uh, political correctness, and I mean that in a political sense. If you were going to have lunch with Barack Obama or George Bush, okay, I got everything covered there. Think of how you would feel if you made this comment and you got a call back from the White House or from the ex-president's office and they said, sure, we'd love, you know, the president would love to have lunch with you. He's available from one to two on such and such a date. You'd be like, oh my goodness, this is so cool, right? Check this out. What if you go home today and there's a a message on your uh, voicemail and it says, you know, either... This is Barack Obama. I was calling uh, Renee because I want to have lunch with you. Or this is George Bush. I was calling Renee because I want to have lunch with you. You're like, what? And so you call back the number, and an honest to goodness real life president picks up. I'm like, look, I'm dying to have you over for lunch. I, j- I just really want to have you over for lunch. You're like, come on, what's no? This really is. You, you, you got it all. It really is. Okay, that's ridiculous, isn't it? Well, as we get into Psalm 23:5, what you're going to see is the most important person in all of history, the most powerful person in all of of creation, is actually available for lunch, not because you want to, but because they want to have you over for a meal. You have to think about that. It's a pretty amazing thing. Jesus Christ pursues every single person ever born because he wants to have them over for a meal. You ever think about that? It's a pretty pretty amazing little concept. Lunch Lunch with Martin Luther... King would be a great thing. It's completely different when the king of the universe is pursuing you, and he's also preparing the meal and taking care of all the travel arrangements just so he could spend some time with you. Let's look at Psalm 23.5, and what I hope to communicate today is that God pursues us and loves us and is with us in each and every situation we come across. Now here's the problem with this verse. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies... You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Now, what's this psalm about? It's an illustration referring to sheep and a shepherd. Yeah? So, 
You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. So here's how you picture it. Kind of a semi-dirty sheep walking up onto the hilltop. Meh! And a shepherd behind a white tablecloth table. You know, laying out some food on the table. Sheep's like, meh! And this sheep walks up on a slight incline to this beautifully prepared table. And he starts eating food off the table as the shepherd anoints the sheep's head with oil. Isn't that a beautiful picture? That's crazy talk, isn't it? Like, that's not what, that can't be what this is saying, can it? Like, are you supposed to picture a sheep walking up to a table, eating food, making a mess, and getting oil rubbed on its head? I don't think so. So the other alternative, it seems like, is scrap the whole sheep thing. Talk about a person. A person comes up, has a table that God's preparing for them. They eat off this table. God anoints them with oil. Sounds a little bit better. But why would David, all of a sudden, four verses about a sheep and a shepherd, let's talk about person. Let me try to, let me show you what I, what I uh, came across this week. Pretty interesting. You prepare a table before me. What's this have to do with sheep? Anyone have a clue here? It does have something to do with sheep. What does this possibly have to do with sheep? Sheep's the meal. <laughs> 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 wow, I got to rewrite this sermon now. In verse 4, remember where the sheep were going? Even though I walked through the valley of the shadow of death, where were they heading off to? The high country. Do you know, and I'm not pulling your leg, I'll show you this for a fact. Do you know what the high country is called? The tablelands. Now you're all like, sure, that's awful convenient, right? Well, first think about it. If sheep are going to a mountaintop, are they going to be hanging out on some like rocky peak? No, there's fertile ground there for them to eat, right? Do you know what you call the top of a mountain? A mesa. Sometimes, a plateau. You ever hear of Mesa, Arizona? Mesa Verde National Park? Mira Mesa, California? There are lots of mesas if you, if you look around. Do you, anyone speak Spanish? You know what, oh, this is great, no one speaks Spanish, it's whatever I want. Do you know what mesa means in Spanish? Table. table. A table is a plateau. The sheep were being led to the tablelands, the mesas, the high country. So, you prepare a table before me. Do you know what this means? I said last week, the shepherd would walk through the valley of the shadow of death before the sheep would go through, right? He would know the route, he'd know the dangers. Where do you think he was heading as he went through the valley? The tablelands. You know why? To prepare the tablelands for the sheep. Has a shepherd prepare a tableland? First, he goes and he clears up all the springs so the water can come through, so they're not overgrown with weeds. He walks around, he identifies or removes all the poisonous weeds and plants that are toxic to sheep. Now, I'm not making this nonsense up. This is shepherding. He looks at the grass. He sees what's the most fertile areas. He prepares the area for the arrival of the sheep. Let's go back a second and look at what this said in verse 5. You prepare a table before me. Look a little different all of a sudden? So how does this apply to people? Well, we walked through the valley of the shadow of death. We talked about that and we head to the high country. Every situation we come into in our lives, God's already checked it out before we get there. Doesn't mean God slams us into the situation. Look at the book of Job. The devil comes, he says, I, I want to I do some damage to, God, to Job to show you that he doesn't really love you. What's God do? He prepares the boundaries. He says, all right, but don't go outside of these parameters. He prepares the table of the situation. In any situation, good or bad, God, that God causes or allows, 
God has prepared it for us before we even get there. He's been there before we arrive. It's not like God's walking side by side with us and he's like, holy cow, this is a rough one. He's already seen it. He's already been walking around on the plains of, of the grass to prepare it for us. So, you got two choices. You walk with him or you walk away from him. If you walk with him, you'll get the, you'll get the water flowing in the clean springs. You'll get the fertile grass. You'll be free of those toxic plants. But if you walk away from them, guess what sheep gnaw on if they're not hanging out with the, with the shepherd? The poisonous plants. You and I have the same situation. If we're not walking with God, we have dangers on the high ground or the low ground or anywhere we go. But if we walk with Him, we're perfectly safe. Even in the face of poisonous, toxic plants around us, we're perfectly safe because God has prepared the table for us before we get there. Now, there's another logical illustration that that, um, we can look at through the New Testament of God preparing a table too. Now, David wouldn't have had this full revelation that we have, but you'll read of Jesus preparing the the wedding feast for us. Uh, Heaven is often referred to as feasting with God at different times. We, We sit and we eat with God. You need to look at that in light of the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, you didn't hang out with God. You, you didn't just, you know, people would not pray like we pray at church. People wouldn't just say, Daddy, here, here's what I need, or would you please speak to me? Whoa, you didn't do that. You know why? Because there was a barrier between people and God. There was only a, a person, single person, who could go before God, and that was a high priest once a year in the Holy of Holies. Now we're indwelt by God. The concept of eating with God loses a lot of its um, amazingness in our culture because we eat with anybody. You know, we've all, we all grew up in school cafeterias. We got old country buffets. You know, we eat anybody. We have lots of people over to our houses, go to people's houses. Well, a king, you didn't dine at the king's table. That was a special seat reserved for a very few. And when you're talking about the king of the universe, it's quite a thing to dine with him, let alone have him prepare the table for you. Don't miss that. So then you prepare a table before me. I'm sorry, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. All right, what's this have to do with the table lands? Well, who was in the valley of the shadow of death? Remember those predators we talked about? What do you think happened to the predators when the sheep passed through the valley? I give you a hint, they don't hang out in the valley when the sheep are gone. They come up on the table lands. Now, they don't walk around the plateau. They hang out in an area called the rim rock. It's periphery. It's it's the outer edge where you come up to the summit, and they hide and lie in wait. So if you walk with God, you sit and you dine and you feast and you, you rest in the presence of your enemies who aren't going to come anywhere near you because you're in the protection of the shepherd. But if you wander from God and you get over to the edge by yourself a little too close, guess what happens? Predator gnaws on you a bit. Sheep disappear all the time, turn into bones hanging on the edge of a table land because they got a little too close to the, to the edge. We need to remember that we, as we feast in the high country, there are people on the, there are people. There are enemies on the rim rock. You prepare before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. Alright. Help me out with this one. What's this have to do with sheep? It really does have something to do with sheep. You anoint my head with oil. What's that? Mm-hmm. The sheep are in the high country in the, in the summer and the fall. Anyone remember what we have flying around here in the summer and the fall? This summer and fall, I spent every afternoon outside. 
Does anyone have that gnat infestation by their house? They will be in my nose, in my eyes, in my ears. I don't know. They must not be under four feet because all the kids in the neighborhood were fine. But I would like smacking my head, rubbing out my ear. It was, I'm like, I'm going in. I can't take it anymore. Well, sheep are lacking with some maneuverability of their arms. They don't have arms. But there are lots of flies in the summer and the fall. There's a particular fly in this area that will actually go into the nostrils of sheep and lay eggs. It's a great area to, uh, to where they lay their eggs. And sheep will literally be driven crazy by it. They'll start bashing their faces into tree trunks, into the ground, just to get some relief from it. As they do, they get cuts and they get infections. And then as they bump heads and rub into each other in a natural setting, you know what they do? They spread that infection. So a shepherd, a good shepherd, will anoint his sheep. He'll put oil on them, just like Diane was saying. They have, you can Google it, you can eBay it, I bet you find one on eBay, dunking tanks for sheep. There are different mixes they use of of oils and and things like that, that they will literally submerge a sheep in to cover their wool to keep them free of flies and pests and ticks. What's the hardest part of the sheep, but the most important sheep, to dunk or anoint? It's the head. You ever wash a dog with our dogs? I don't know about you guys, but the body's all right. All right, you being used in a loose sense. But when you get to the head, you gotta, you got to hold on for dear life. you got to be laying down on this animal, and you real quick spray them, and they like go frantic. The, the head, don't like their head. Well, sheep are not much different than dogs. You get a sheep's head wet, they're going to throw a fit. But if you don't get the head anointed with this treatment, guess what's going in the nose? couple things to realize here. Two ways, preventatively or reactively. Some sheep will get the, uh, the nose bug and the shepherd will treat them after the fact. They're scabbed, they spread infection, but they can be healed. A good shepherd's preventative. He's got them dunked so they never get started in there in the first place. Me and you. God's a preventative type of God. God wants to anoint us so that we don't have to deal with the infection that we can spread, but too often we run from the dunking tank And we get some flies in our heads. I'll explain what I mean by that in a minute. God will go ahead and fix that for us. However, there's danger. Because we get infected, we have scabs that need to heal, and we spread that infection to other people. Sin is never a private matter. It's always a a public affair. We, We spread sin very easily. Little or big, we spread sin because we come in contact with other people. So what do I mean? You and I live in a world full of flies, worldly flies, let's say, and we need to be careful. There are things we come in contact with, TV, music, magazines, radio, internet, general conversations, etc., where things that are not necessarily pleasing to God will get into our heads, right? We need to be careful that we are anointed so we can properly deal with those things and they don't find fertile ground to grow. If we're not, we find that they have a place. How do you know they found a place? What do you hum more of? Bible verse songs or TV songs? I can tell you for me, it's not Bible verse songs, but I'm working on it. What do you think about more? What do you do more of? What's got a stronger hold in your head? There's a tension for everybody. We all have a little bit of the infection problem of stuff that's gotten in there. So we need some fixing work. We need some reactionary medicine. God will heal it. But we need to realize, whatever we let go in our head if not properly anointed by God, I'll explain what that means in a minute, can find fertile ground in which to grow, will infect us, and we spread to other people. 
when we stay close to God, He protects us. He anoints us, just like a good sheep, a good shepherd. So what, what does it mean to anoint us? It's a real clear, easy transition here. We're anointed by the Holy Spirit as we believe in Christ, right? You understand, what, you understand those words. But what does that mean? Like, oh, you, know, you hear some people, I am a, a Spirit-anointed Christian. Well, well, what does that mean? You want me to explain what it means? Or can I just leave it there? There are three things that anointing means. Anointed by the Holy Spirit means you're filled with the Holy Spirit when you become a Christian. Considered anointed in a biblical sense. The first thing, whenever you hear of anointing in the Bible, you're set aside, set aside for a divine use. Anyone or anything anointed in the Bible is set aside for a divine use. Number two, it's empowered to accomplish its task. And number three, it's protected by God when it's a person. Set aside for a divine use. What does it mean to be a Christian? It means you're holy, right? Do you know what holy means? You're set aside for a divine use. We'll talk about in Bible study a little bit. When you become a Christian, you accept a free gift, but the free gift has conditions. You no longer have the deed to your life. Jesus has the deed. He gets to say what you do and what you don't do. And the beauty is, He loves you and wants what's best for you. But He owns you when you become a Christian. You say, I, I want to be saved. Jesus says, done. But now you're set aside for a divine use because you're mine. And I love you. A sheep in the care of a shepherd is set aside for the shepherd's use. A shepherd can, shepherd can slaughter them, shear them, or let them eat. Do whatever he wants with them. He owns those sheep. Well, Jesus owns us. He's a good shepherd. We ain't going to the slaughterhouse. I got news for you. We might be sheared somewhat, but he's going to allow us to spend eternity with him in heaven after having a joyful life as we live in his will and look at it through his perspective. Set aside for divine use. Empowered to accomplish our tasks. Whatever God calls us to do, no matter how ridiculously impossible it seems, through the power of the Holy Spirit which we receive as Christians, He will empower us to do. He may not, Patty, He may not have called you to, to have a, um, a crusade next week in Philadelphia for 100,000 people to come to Christ. You can't do it on your own. But if you leave here today, and God says, Patty, I want you to rent out the... Uh, Where's the Wachovia Center? Is that in Philadelphia? I want you to rent out the Wachovia Center and have a crusade. You'd be saying, God, whoo, it's me, Patty. You know, you want to call somebody. He's like, no, I told you. It's impossible, right? Unless God tells you to do it. Then it's not impossible at all. Everything God calls us to do that we read about in here is fully possible and will happen because we're anointed by the Holy Spirit. The last thing is protected. When I was a kid, I'd tell other kids, don't mess with me because my dad could whoop your dad. Well, I got news for you. My daddy can whoop your daddy now. My heavenly father can whoop some serious butt, but he doesn't, he's, a great, he's a good God. He doesn't do that. As anointed children of God, we are protected. First, that means if someone messes with us, they've got to talk to daddy. It's a big thing to mess with a child of God. The second thing is God protects us, though. We are, as sheep are under the care of a good shepherd, fully protected by God. Anointing. The sheep are anointed in a preventative protective manner. Not just for themselves, but for the entire flock. You and I are anointed in a protective, preventative manner. Not just for our good, but for the entire flock. Because we're set aside for divine use, we're empowered to accomplish our tasks, and we're protected by our Heavenly Father. Does that make sense? The last thing this, this verse says is, my cup overflows. Now in our house, we have some overflowing cups at times. Usually at dinner, it usually goes like this. Can I have more milk? Sure, go get the milk. Okay, can I pour it? Go ahead and pour it. Bloop, 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 and it's pouring everywhere. Well, 
When you live in God's care, life is like an overflowing cup of milk. Not really. What does it mean my cup overflows? You know, in our house, we're not craving overflowing cups at the end of the day. But biblically, we're supposed to be craving an overflowing cup. What does that mean? My cup overflows. It's that abundant life that Jesus talks about. I came to give them life to the fullest. I came to give them abundant life. When we live this crazy way that God calls us to, crazy from our perspective, not his perspective, our cup will overflow. We will have a life full of abundance. See, you and I were made to celebrate and party. We were made to have companionship and friendship and laugh and have a a grand old time all the time. That's what we were made for. The problem is we try to fulfill those desires in the wrong way. You know? Too often Christianity is relegated to this don't dance, don't laugh, don't, don't, don't drink, don't have any fun, just sit kind of somber till Jesus comes back or you die. Mm. That's not biblical. Biblical is dance, laugh, have fun, just, just have, a, have a party when you can have a party, but make sure you're having a party about the wrong thing. About, did I just say about the wrong? About the right thing. I was watching TV this week and the New York Yankees had a ticker tape parade. And people in the streets were going crazy and they're all excited. And I like the Yankees and all. And I'm looking at this going, why are they all excited? Nobody in those streets got a, got a uh, playoff check. Nobody got paid by the Yankees when they all paid money to the Yankees. Nobody got paid by the Yankees. Do you really think Derek Jeter knows, knows uh, Joe Smith 17 deep and cares you know, two bits about how excited he is at the Yankees? Well, I mean, it's fun when your team wins, but your team don't really care about you. But we like to celebrate. We like to have a party. It's a, it's a fun time, right? Well, we were made that way. The thing is, we need to be celebrating and having a party about a lot of things that are different than what we focus on. Now, now you can celebrate a ticker tape parade. There's nothing wrong with that. But are we celebrating what God celebrates? Do you think God's like, Yankees? He might be. I mean, I, I don't know. God is what? I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. But when someone comes to faith, God gets fired up. It tells us that, that all the angels rejoice in heaven when one comes to faith. It doesn't say anything about when the Yankees win the pennant. When we do God's will, when we put it on the line for God, He gets fired up excited. When Chloe prays this morning before church, I can guarantee you God was very, very happy because he loves when kids pray. When the Eagles score a touchdown tonight against the Cowboys, we get a little bit of excitement. Our perspective's off. It's good to be excited when the Eagles score tonight, or if, Peyton, if the Eagles score, right? But when we hear a kid pray, when we see someone come to faith, when we're out sharing our faith, we need to get fired up excited because thank you, Jesus, for giving me this opportunity. We're designed to party. Ticker tape parade, that fades a little bit after it happens. Celebrating something Jesus celebrates, that doesn't fade. My cup overflows not with a cheap substitute of a ticker tape parade, but with a joyful celebration of what God finds meaningful. Make sense? You know why we don't find meaningful fully what God finds meaningful? Some stuff got in there, didn't it? David. David's a man after God's own heart, the Bible tells us. Do you know why David's a man after God's own heart? Because David cared about what God cared about. Our cup overflows when we live the life that we're called to, and the reason it overflows is because we start to care about what our shepherd cares about. We get excited about what he gets excited about. We mourn over what he mourns about, and we realize we're set aside for divine use. And that's a pretty cool thing. Because if you get invited to lunch with Jesus, you get to sit down with him, and you don't have to go home in an hour. He said, I'll hang out with you forever. 
and I want to work with you. I want to work through you. I want to take care of you. I want to be your best friend in the whole world. Now imagine having lunch with someone in history and they're talking to you like this. You may be like, whoa, you're a little freaky. You know, I wanted to have lunch with the president, but this is getting freaky on me. Jesus says, come eat with me. I want to be with you forever. I want to empower you forever. I want to take care of you perfectly. I want to give you the greatest life possible. And on top of that, this is a cheap imitation of what I have in store for eternity. I'm out there not only preparing for each situation you come across now, but for all of eternity. Either when I come back in the sky or when you die and meet me. I have the greatest time ever prepared for you. And you say, but why me? That's a great question. Why you? No reason other than He loves you. Think about that. As you look at this psalm, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Why is the Lord our shepherd? Because we're such meritorious sheep? No, because He loves us. Why should we not want? Because He simply loves us. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Because we're like prized show sheep, and we need that nourishment to be, you know. No, because He loves us. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Think about this invitation you have from Jesus. This isn't like, come hang out, ask me five questions and get out of here. i got a busy schedule. This is, come and live with me. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they come for me. He's taken us to the high country, to the peaks in this life, and to the ultimate peak in heaven. And then we read this crazy statement. You prepare a table before me. In the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. That's crazy talk. See, if you're going to have a, a meal with someone, you usually prepare the meal for them. People don't often call you up in that type of position and say, come on, I'll cook for you. I'll take care of the transportation, and I'll, I'll actually pick you up and drive you over and take care of you on the way. It's a pretty amazing thing when you hear that God prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies. We have a pretty amazing God. And sometimes that gets sucked down a little too much by what we let get into our head in an unprotected manner. So how do you, how do you fix what's in there? The Bible tells us real clearly you repent. You say, God, I'm sorry for the sin I have in my life right now. Please help me become aware of what it is. Please forgive me for it. And please help heal the scabbing or the damage done by that. Okay? God doesn't look down on you. God, God rejoices when you say it and he works with you. Little by little, you have a perspective change. You get some healing going on. The scabs start to go away, and you begin to be filled more and more with the Holy Spirit. You're more powerfully and perfectly anointed. As you do that, life becomes different. Your passions change. You begin to see Jesus in the proper perspective. Not as some ancient historical figure that intellectually we can prove exists, but as the God of the universe, who is as real as anything, who is, who is through the Holy Spirit right here with us now, who can physically look at us from where he sits right now, who is caring for us perfectly, who knows exactly what's going to happen half an hour after we leave church, and is at this very moment preparing that ground for us to cross. Think about that. How could you ever be scared? As a little kid sometimes, you go to sleep and you're like, Mommy, Daddy, will you check my room? There's something under the bed. News for you, Jesus checked under the bed. There ain't nothing to be afraid of under the bed. Now, that doesn't mean leave you as adults, leave your house unlocked, yeah, but... Jesus checked under the bed for us. There's no scary things out there he doesn't know about. There are scary things out there in the periphery, but as you stay near him, he will care for you perfectly, and your cup will overflow. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for the fact 
I thank for, it's such an inadequate term, but I thank you for the fact that, that you love us, that you care for us, that you prepare, prepare for us, and you provide for us. Thank you for the fact that you are God and we are not, that you are the shepherd and we are the sheep. Thank you for all you do for us. And God, help us have perspective, a right perspective, a proper perspective, a holy perspective of who you are and who we are, so that we may serve you well and serve you faithfully and be a light through which you can shine upon the world. God, help us love you more. Help us understand your love for us more. Help us be passionate men and women of our faith who live it out, knowing that it's, it's never for waste. It's always for your glory with a perfect purpose and that we have eternity to celebrate it with you, but we also have life now to be had to the fullest because you're a gracious God. Thank you, God, that you forgive us for our sins as we confess them to you. Thank you for the fact that you will lead us in paths of righteousness. Thank you for the fact that you came down and walked this life as a genuine human so you know what we go through. We're told that you are tempted in every way we can be tempted, that you've experienced what we experience, but God, you never did sin. And you'll empower us to walk through life in your will as we trust and stand close to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.